Welcome to Boomerang Church, a house of love and prayer, living in abundance, winning souls, and making disciples for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we're seeing those things happen more and more all the time. We're seeing abundance come to people. We're seeing lives come to Jesus. We're seeing disciples being made, people disciplining themselves after God. And we're seeing everything that God wants us uh, to see, the beginnings of it. We want to see more. Uh, What we've been talking about a whole lot is we want God's normal. Have you ever understood, has everybody realized that in this world, this world is corrupted? (laughs) You've got revelation? (laughs) Amen. Good. This world is corrupted, but the other thing that happened in this world is that Uh, We became corrupted in it. It actually became corrupted because we became corrupted through sin. And uh, but when Jesus came, he made us a new creation. Right. Uh, But he gave us then the power to renew our mind. He gave us the power to renew our mind. And then our flesh nature, corrupted nature, it does not change. But we are given the power over sin through Jesus Christ to put the flesh man down. So our job then as a new creation is to renew the mind and submit the flesh, right? But one of the things that in that whole process, you realize that from the garden up till now, we've been living under corrupted thinking. Have you ever, everybody remember the telephone game where one person says one thing? And the next person, by the time you get to the end of the line, it's nowhere near what it was at the beginning, right? Well, think about that in terms of corruption, right? Everything was pure in the garden, and then all of a sudden corruption came in. And now think, 6,000 years later of corruption, where's our minds at, right? Does it have potential to be messed up, for our thoughts to be off? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, pretty much uh, we need to understand that humility would say I can be wrong. And so humility would say I have the potential to have some really messed up thoughts, even if I had a good family, even even if I was raised in church. And so in the in along those lines of thinking, one of the things that the Holy Spirit really dropped in my mind a while back was this was what does man call good and great? Versus what does God call normal? In other words, maybe, just maybe, what we are calling good and great, and we think it's up here, on God's scale is really way down here. Maybe we've, maybe we've walked away from what God actually calls normal so far that if somebody just raises above the crowd, we think that they're awesome. But maybe they're just average. Maybe they're even below average, Right? But compared, rating on a curve, grading on a curve, so to speak, their heads and shoulders above other people. Well, I would say that I see that all the time because if somebody starts actually going after God and getting on fire with God, the first thing we do is go, they're a pastor, right? That doesn't make them a pastor. It makes them a believer. That's that's just what a Christian does. And the word says those that believe will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It says they'll, they'll uh, pick, up, pick up things, snakes, if they happen to pick up a snake like Paul did in Acts chapter 28. It, stuff won't even hurt them. The evil won't even affect them. 
It says, it says that if they drink something deadly, it won't affect them. It says that they will bring deliverance to the captives. captives. They'll make disciples. They'll raise the dead. They'll cast out devils. That's all in uh, Mark chapter 16. He's not talking about a pastor. He's not talking about a preacher. He's talking about a believer. Just your every average person that accepted Christ as Lord and Savior has the ability to do that. Day one, they can do that. Day one, cast out devils, raise the dead, pray for people, they'll recover. So how come we're not seeing that all the time through every believer? And the reason is because we have allowed corruption to change the way we think. And now we've gone down the road to where our wrong thinking and our low standard has become normal. And so God just planted this idea that maybe even what we call great is not even scratching the surface of God's normal. I believe that we're starting to see some great things happening. Like, you know, I mean, literally, that's the dead being raised. You're talking about, you're talking about, no, there's no chance. Doctors already pronounced that. I mean, they didn't mark them as dead yet, but they did with their words. They've already said that. And yet, here he is now, walking, talking, able to give testimony to God. And he will in Jesus' name. And he will. Amen. And you know what? Is that God's normal? It's a part of it. But see, Jesus said it like this. You'll do these works greater. So what the reason I say that is I want us to make sure that we understand that that we as a church are not and we've said this multiple times. We don't want what every other church is doing. Right. We don't. I don't I, I don't want what I feel like I'm supposed to do. I want what God says. Lord, what are you saying to do? That's what we want. Well, that's going to that's going to separate us. Right. He says you are called out ones. He says you're, you're ones that are supposed to stand out from the crowd. You're supposed to look different, walk different. Well, what's the difference? The difference is the power of God. Paul said it like this. He said, I don't come to you preaching and convincing words of man's wisdom with persuasive words. In other words, I don't just come uh, being a good preacher so that you like, oh, yeah, that's a good message. It's great if it's a good message. But he says, I come to you in demonstration and power. In other words, what I'm preaching to you, God backs up. And that's biblical. It says, the Lord works with his word. The Lord works with his word, bringing signs and wonders. In other words, the normal of God starts to be produced when you start preaching like that. And that's what Paul said. He says, you got to, in other words, the reference was you've got a bunch of people out and they can preach and you like hearing them. It tickles your ears. It makes you sound good. But are they bringing the proof? Are they bringing the power of God? Are they bringing demonstration? Are they just giving a good, a good speech? Because there's a big difference between a good speech, even in a church and a message from God. So in, in Boomerang, one of the things that we're looking to do is we're not looking to be the world's normal. We want to be looking like what God's normal is. And for some people, that means we're for you. You've been looking for us and we've been looking for you. Some people that you don't know, 
You don't know if that, if, I don't know if that's what I want or not. And that's good. We're actually good with that. Because guess what? You go after the Lord, he says, if you lack wisdom, let a man ask of God and I will give it to him freely and without reproach. He won't rebuke you, right? And then he, then he says that, then there's other people and they're like, nope, that's not for me. And we're good with that too. We'd rather you find your place. If this is not it, we'd rather you find your place than sit here. Even and you might add to the count, but there's another place that's better for you and better for God and better for us. So we're good with that. But generally people are going to fall into those three categories. And we just want to say we're, we're good with all three. But just hear from the Lord. Because here's one of the things that the scripture says. It says those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. They will flourish. So how would you like the place of rule and authority in front of the throne of God? In his courts be flourishing there. And he says he does that for people that are planted in the house of the Lord. That means uh, if we're always like, well, I don't know if I'm there or not or back and forth and everything. No, no, no. He says you will flourish when you're planted in the house of God. So let's plan ourselves. Let's make sure that our, our roots are stable. Let's, let's make sure that we're not digging them up ourselves. Let's make sure that we're going after God. Amen. 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 So welcome to Boomerang. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We've been talking about from lack to abundance. And one of the things that we've been talking about in lack to abundance is this. We've been talking about that it's God's will for you to be in abundance. Now, what kind of abundance... I feel like messing with people, but I'm going to be good. Uh, what kind of abundance are we talking about? All of it. Yeah. God wants you to be in abundance, no matter what kind of abundance it is. And we've talked about why he wants us to be in abundance. And we're going to look at that today. We're talking about moving from lack to abundance. In particular, we're looking at moving in lack from abundance in our finances. How many people do you realize that Jesus preached a whole lot on finances? Why did he do that? One, it's a great teaching tool. Because if you can, you can take teaching on biblical finances and you can apply it to healing and deliverance and everything else. It's a great matter of fact, he says in the kingdom, it's a little thing. Uh, I called it last week. Uh, finances, when you understand biblical finances, it's like Christianity 101. Because if you can get and understand abundance and lack and sowing and reaping in finances, you can actually move that same faith over into healing, over into protection, over into everything. It's like biblical, it's like Christianity 101. So it's a great teaching uh, uh, subject. The other thing is, there's a whole bunch of people that didn't have it going right. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And they needed some abundance in their life. You've heard me say that when we first started Boomerang, uh, over, well over 50% of our prayer requests were about finances. Right? But now, it's not that way hardly at all. It's about maybe 10 to 25%, maybe. Yeah, so why? Because we've taught biblical principles and those biblical principles, what, what does the anointing of Christ do? It starts to break down those bondages, right? So let me tell you this, the healing that I walk in today, the heal and anointing for healing and anointing for different things like that. I walk in that because 
we studied finances. It's exactly, it's kind of funny that I'm coming full circle here, but when we first started out in ministry, we had one of the reasons going on why Jesus preached about finances. There was a bunch of people in bondage to lack. I mean, people were bound up by having no lack. And the word says this, that the lender is slave or the borrower is slave to the lender, right? That's a bondage. That's, that's slavery. And we have it all. It's just legal slavery, a lot of today. But think about this. If I told you don't come to church on Sunday morning, some of you would think about it. Hmm. I'm not feeling good. But if I said, don't go to work on Monday morning, you'd be like, no, I got to get up. I got to pay the bills. <laughs> I got, I got, lend, I got uh, some debtors calling. They're going to be wanting the rent. They're going to be wanting this. They're going to be wanting that. Now, why is that? In other words, that lack, it'll motivate you to get up on Monday morning. But a good God doesn't motivate us to get up on Sunday. The reason why is because we're under a bondage. And the, the word says you can't serve both. So how are we going to actually serve God right if we don't come free in our finances? You're either going to, it's good stuff, amen. You're either going to serve one or the other, right? But it goes beyond that. There's more to it than just that. I, wanna, I want you to see here today, this is what we're looking at. Why are we talking about moving from lack to abundance? We're going to look at one of the main reasons today. But the first thing I want you to see is this. We were created. Here's your outline for today. We were created to do good works. Did you know you were created to do good works? Two, God will equip you to do that very thing. He will equip you to do every good work. To bear fruit and to please him. You were created to do just that. Three, we are equipped for every good work through scripture and sowing. We were created for good works and abundance. So in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship. We're his workmanship. Uh, in the New Living, I think it is, it says, You are his masterpiece. You know, uh, Michelangelo, he was a pretty good artist. Was he all right? He was okay. But I'm just telling you, Michelangelo had nothing on God. God's a better one. I mean, just walk outside and look around. God is the best artist that ever was. Whatever Michelangelo got that was good, he got it from God. I know that. Because scripture tells me every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the father of lights with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. The word says this. He says that in creation and in the reference kind of is the beauty and the depth and the detail of creation preaches about God so that men easily see that he's there. They easily see. There's people that are trying to you know, talk people into the fact uh, today, they're trying to talk people into uh, that God is there and prove to them through science and everything. You're, you're, you're taking on an argument you don't even have to do. The scripture says in Romans, he is clearly seen. Clearly, clearly seen. Clearly seen. 
So why waste time, are you? If they've decided that they don't want to believe in him, they are denying what is clearly seen. They're already saying, I don't want any part of it. So you're throwing pearls uh, in front of something that doesn't value it. Things of great value in front of that. Don't do that. Amen. This what says, we are his workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, God created us for what? Good works. We're here to do his good will, to produce on this earth good works, to fulfill the good deeds that he's put in his hand. Well, I just want to come to church. That is not the only thing in good works. You can't just check that box and be complete. You've got a bigger job than that. You've got a bigger task. You're created for every good work. This is something that we need to get a hold of and we need to make sure that we understand. That we are created for a purpose and we need to fulfill it. It's not enough just to accept Jesus and go to heaven. We have a purpose. We're created for something. Has anybody ever seen an artist that passed away early? What do, what do people normally say about that artist once they've passed away early? Gone too soon. Why would they say gone too soon? They had more to do. What a waste of good talent. Every Christian that just goes to heaven but doesn't make disciples and lead people to the Lord and walk in the fullness of their calling, they are gone too soon. What a waste of talent. The word declares what a waste of talent because it tells us that we're created for every good work. So you can rise up to your potential, find your purpose in God, find your place, and you can walk in it. Now, you've got some people that will take that and they'll run with it. And they try to be something that God never ordained them to do. And they always struggle with it. Then you've got some people that sit on the bench all their life and they never get in the game. You've got both ditches. But we've got to find that, that right place, that balance of, all right, Lord, this is what you called me to do. I humble myself. I submit myself to you and to the men and women that you place me in their lives. And let's make this thing happen. Let's make this thing happen. In our class uh, at Impact, we've been talking a lot about purpose. And we start to understand that in, in purpose, generally, not everybody has a vision uh, for a ministry. That's not the way God dishes it out. Even in Scripture, it shows us that the majority of people are not going to be pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's not the way it's going to be. Even with look at um, just the... the um, nation of Israel as they come out of Egypt. How many leaders was there? One. How many people? Million. Two million. Right? One leader, one vision, two million people. So a lot of time, now you had leaders broken down in there, but the, all those leaders were broken down to complete one vision. Get them into the promised land. First generation didn't do so great, but the second one got in there. Amen. So glory to God. Say mercy on me, Lord. Amen. <laughs> but if you just look at that, one leader, one vision. So a lot of times everybody thinks they got to have their own ministry. Well, what is that an effect of? 
A lot of times that's an effect of uh, people living so underneath God's normal that we stick out when we get hungry for God. That's what we were talking about earlier. And so everybody goes, oh, you must be a minister. No, you must not be a minister. You're probably called to support and go after the vision where God's planted you. That's probably where it's at. Not opposed to it. We need to raise up ministers. But we've got to understand that before we go jumping into a lifelong vision, let's make sure that we've heard from the Lord. Let's make sure that we've heard clearly and we've submitted ourselves and humbled ourselves. I don't know who that's for, but I can just feel it that it's needed to be said today. So it's, you know, just make sure that you submit yourself to the plan of God before you go jumping all in, saying you're in faith, but what you're actually doing is presuming that this is what you're supposed to do. Why? Because there's a whole lot of corrupted thinking from the garden all the way up to here that's caused us to get our thinking off track. All right. But we were created for a purpose. At the same time, with balance, don't let any preaching like that keep you back from stepping into what you are supposed to do, right? How many people here can make coffee? It's impressive, glory to God. How many have made it for the church? Right, not as many, you see? But yet we pretty much all can make coffee. So in other words... A lot of times what we're always saying is like, oh, God's called me to change the world, but I can't make coffee. Yeah. It's like, hold up. <laughs> hold on now. Can't everybody lead what, a ministry because God hadn't called everybody. But we can find a place where God can use us. And there's a principle in the, in the word that basically says this. How am I going to give you a responsibility for something that's your own if you hadn't handled somebody else as well. Right? That's the scripture we were looking at last week. So we need to understand how to walk in that, how to move in that. And when we get there, all of a sudden we have this balance and what needs are, are left without being met? None. We've done everything. But we are his workmanship. We are created for good works. See, we've got this a lot of times backwards. We want to, we got a lot of people in the church that want to be up here, but they don't want to lead somebody to Jesus on the street. They want to be up here, but they don't want to listen to the Lord in Walmart. They want to be here, but they don't want to look weird in front of their coworker. When they want to be here, but they don't want to bow their head in public and pray and thank God for the food that he's provided. So see, we've got it backwards. There, there's some things. This is where we need the boldness of God to start coming out of, where we start living a separated God's normal kind of life, and then God can move you up in the different places. Will it be at the head of a ministry? Odds are probably not. But will it be important? Absolutely. Oh, you better believe it. You better believe it. Multiple things happened this morning that I could not touch. I did not have time enough to do everything. But people handled things and made it happen so that you are having a good experience. So that you're sitting here ready to receive the word. Why? So that life can be imparted. Maybe one word brings about a boldness and a confidence that God is good. And when you face something, you'll have that word and that hope like what happened with Mr. Eric. There's a lot of people, those, those 
few days that y'all been here and you may have had something imparted you didn't even realize. Your brain didn't even realize it was inside of your heart so that you would have the boldness to say, no, this is not happening. I'm not letting the devil do that today. There might have been a bunch of stuff imparted that day. And you know what happened in order to get that word into you? There was a whole bunch of people here praying on Sunday morning. They were adding their supply and prayer so that the service would have just the right words when you were sitting back there. There was there was people that were cleaning it so that you wouldn't walk in and think, what a dump. I ain't listening to anything this guy says. There was people that were practicing worship. Why? Everybody was created for good works. They were created for the good things of God. But it's not a one-man show. Most people focus on the guy that's talking and they focus on that. But that is not how this thing works. It focuses when we come together as a family and we don't let anything shake that. The devil can try to come in. He can try to shake all kinds of stuff and we don't let him. No, we are unified. We're walking in unity. We're walking in the vision that you've called us. We're going after it and we will not be shaken in Jesus name. You get a people like that, and it goes, you can change the world, amen. You, you get into Psalms 133, and it starts talking about, that's the kind of unity where the Lord, sits, the Lord stands up. And he says, blessing of God, be on that body. And the blessing starts to multiply. Why? Because you've got a people that have committed themselves to unity. That's what we're after. That's why we don't mind if people are not supposed to be here. Because if they're not supposed to be here, they'll be bringing in a peace that's not unity. We want a heart. We want a body who's unified to go after God with all, with all of his normal being seen. And if somebody doesn't want that, I understand. I was there once. I'm just not there now. And so that's going to be hard for us to be unified over that. But if that's you or you think it could be you, then stick around and figure it out. And then when you figure it out, plant yourself and be a part of what God's doing. And I don't know what he's doing here today. Yeah, this is not really the message. I like it when the Lord does this. I just have to speak him on what exactly he wants to do. <laughs> but it's different. I want to tell you right now, okay. Sometimes... Sometimes it's important. Do you remember when Moses and Aaron uh, and her were up on the mountain yes. and the battle was going on? And while Moses had his arms lifted up, the battle they were winning. But when he got tired and he dropped his arms and the, the, the staff that God had given him uh, lowered, then the battle they started losing. And so Moses and Aaron... And her, they found a rock for him to sit on. Now, a rock, I mean, it's a rock. It's not like super spiritual, right? I mean, it's a rock. (laughs) 
but it was. There was a rock. And they set him down on the rock. And then they came beside him. And this doesn't sound really spiritual. But they just helped him hold his arms up. The rock supported him. They supported his arms. Sometimes to do some of the greatest things spiritually. To win the biggest battles. It's just logical stuff. Just logical stuff. Like we've had the times before where, you know, everybody, all right, everybody, make sure that you, you know, sit in this section because the camera is shooting right over you. And it just makes it look like people can see you, you know. It's logical stuff to help somebody that might be listening. But let's say, just watch this, let's say that everybody here today sat in the back rows and they just compressed in the back rows, right? How would that look on camera? It looked like nobody was listening to the message. So the person listening online, right, would they think that this place has got anything worth saying? No, their quick view would be what? Next. <laughs> right? Now, is that spiritual? No. <laughs> Should that person have more spiritual maturity than to just flip off because it looks like nothing's going on? No, they shouldn't, but we've already discussed how corruption works and not everybody's where you're at. But just logical stuff helps. Logical things help. Sometimes, uh, Chris and I were talking about it the other day, sometimes it just helps when if we're praying, we just gather and get close. Why? Just subconsciously, it turns into unity. All of a sudden, you start praying different. You feel like a family. So then, you also have things like this. Well, the reason I said all that is sometimes it's very logical. And there's some logistics in what the Lord wants to do. And today, He just wants me to tell you this. This is right now. He wants me to tell you that tonight we're going to have a Holy Spirit service at 4 p.m. One word can change your whole life. What's the Lord going to do at that Holy Spirit service? I don't know. He's God, not me. I don't know. <laughs> what are you going to be preaching? I have no idea. What's going to happen? We're going to let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Will there be order? Yeah, His. But sometimes you just got to prioritize that stuff and let the Holy Spirit do it. The logic and the order, the, the rock, so to speak, that I was supposed to tell you is that we're having that service tonight. I don't, what that probably means, the reason why I brought it up is probably there's somebody in here or listening online that he wants to do something major in your life and he wants to highlight you're supposed to be there. You may even right now be feeling, I'm supposed to be there tonight at 4 o'clock. I'm supposed to be there. And your flesh may be going, but I don't want to go. I want to watch NFL or I want to watch this or I want to do this or I just want to nap. It's been a long week or whatever. And the Holy Spirit's going, yeah, but you need to be there. Because one word can change everything. Not to mention, if you're planted in a place, then you need to be planted. Right? Amen. Not wishy-washy. Double-minded. 
The other thing is, I'm telling you, so this Friday we're going to go to uh, where is Boomerang Blue Weekend. So Boomerang Blue Day is a fun day. Next weekend is Boomerang Blue Day, next, next Sunday, right? And uh, Boomerang Blue Day is kind of like Spirit Day at school. You remember Spirit Day where everybody dresses up in the school colors and everything? So this is, everybody wear something boomerang blue, right? Like the color of Miss Dixie's shirt there, right? Wear something close to that color blue. Paint your face, color your hair, I don't care. We're just, we're just getting excited because God's made us a family. And we're going to be come in excited and expecting. It's going to be awesome. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, we're going to start the party off on Friday night and go to the hockey game. So everybody who's signed up, we have you the, the tickets there. And uh, you'll want to be here uh, Friday night at 515. Be here. We'll carpool there. You have to pay for each car to park. So uh, the game starts at 715. You can show up there uh, by yourself if you want to. But if you want to carpool, be here at 515. We'll pull out at 530. Okay. So, but we'll have a lot of fun at the hockey game. We'll watch the checkers win. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we support our local team. But then on Sunday, we're going to have Boomerang Blue Day. Yeah. And I have a message called Blue. And I hadn't preached it in several years. And I'm telling you, several months ago, the Lord showed me what to preach on that day, uh, which I'd preached some years before. And it's an important message, and it will change your life, and you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. And then, the week after that, we're going to be talking about going back to from lack to abundance, and we're going to talk about what does the Lord want to do with the lack in your life financially, and how does He move you? What do you actually do to move to that abundance? So these next three weeks or so, they're going to be life-changing messages. Now, isn't this good preaching? (laughs) Isn't this just exciting and humorous? Isn't this just awesome? I mean, can't you just feel the anointing on these announcements? (laughs) But you know what? It's the rock that supports the spiritual stuff. It's it's the very non-spiritual items, but yet it allows the huge spiritual battles to be won. Huge spiritual battles. A lot of times we need to just pay attention to those things that keep us steady, that keep us stable in our lives. We need to focus on the word. We need to go back to the basics. I think it was in the class, uh, maybe not, if somebody remembers what it was. But most of, the, uh, most of the things that are won are won because somebody masters the basics. Was that from the class? The impact? Yeah. A lot of times, things, you remember with, um, uh, George can probably answer this, uh, with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, when they um, when they won, when they started winning, there I went up to their stadium a few uh, months ago, up in Wisconsin. It was really it was really impressive. It was really neat to see that. But here's what you could feel in that in that stadium, man. There's a winning attitude in that place. 
They have a winning attitude. Well, how is that now, you know, how is that manifested? Because when they first started winning, that was what, in the 40s? Around that time? It's been a long time since they started winning. How did they win? How did they keep now in 2017 a winning attitude? That's an amazing thing. Here's, you know, anybody know the coach, the winning coach that started really winning up there? Huh? Vince Lombardi, right. And when he got there, I want you to see what they did. This is, golly, such a different message. This is not my normal. Maybe it's God's normal. Glory to God. I'm just, the Lord's doing something. I don't know what it is. So definitely, if you get to the end of this message and you go, man, that message was for me. Let me know about it because this one's different for me, okay? I need to hear it. (laughs) Amen. So, Vince Lombardi, he established a winning atmosphere in that place. One that now is passed on from the 1940s, basically, all the way up to 2017. It was so much so that when I walked into the stadium, it was electric. I mean, it was, it, you could feel it. It was like, this is a, these are winners. These are winners. Well, that's not a bad thing. The Lord says he always leads us to triumph in Christ. But thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. And manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place in Second Corinthians or 1 Corinthians 2.14. So one of the things is the Lord is always leading us to victory. That's not just a Western idea. That's a God idea. But the difference is a lot of times our triumph is set up differently than the world's triumph. Our triumph, we think our triumph is is if our team wins. God thinks it's triumph if lives are raised back from the dead. If if lives are saved. He, He thinks it's triumph if you finally learn how to put down your flesh. That's triumph to God. Uh, that means that you have to tell your flesh no. Your flesh is going, no, I don't like this. This stinks. This is not winning. And God's going, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is winning. But see, that winning attitude was there in that stadium and it was passed on. Do you know what it takes to pass on a winning attitude from the 1940s all the way up to 2017? I can tell you in leading an organization, momentum is one of the most difficult things that I've ever grabbed a hold of. And once I grabbed a hold of it, which I've had, I've had momentum multiple times, it's one of the most difficult things to keep. Like, and that's one of the things that the devil fights. This is just real life talk today, right? I mean, the devil fights momentum. This is why unity is important. A, a group that's unified, uh, they will, there's a thing called inertia, which basically means um, it's, it's like a train. When it starts going, it's really hard to, st- to start going. But then after it gets going, it's hard to stop it because there's so much. Well, a group that's unified, when they go together, like the devil tries to put something in their path and he's like, you know, and he gets laid out because the, the momentum of the body is like, no, stop. Let me throw healing on. They're like, you know, they just run all over the devil because the group is unified. So a leader can breed that unity, but at some point there has to be a transfer 
to other people to grab a hold of that unity and make it theirs. There has to be an excitement and an expectation that doesn't just start here. It has to be transferred. Another person sitting here has to say, yes, I'll take that. But then they don't just have to say, yes, I'll take that, amen, on Sunday morning. They have to actually take that and then run with it. If they don't do that, then it just stays up here. So there has to be some personal responsibility for somebody to step up and say, if nobody else around me will be a leader to actually pull on that unity, then I will be one no matter what everybody else does. Which is awesome because now you have at least two people that will believe God together, right? You'll have at least two. That's better than the one. But then if they'll stick there long enough, the word of God in Romans 12, 1 and 2, if they'll live the ways of God, all of a sudden it'll start to blossom. And you'll start to prove that God's will is good and perfect and acceptable to the people around you. And the fire of God will start catching. And that's some of what we're experiencing now. But what does the devil want to do when he sees the fire start catching? Douse it quick. So how does he do that? Well, he usually is not just like, ah, you shouldn't believe that because you see through that. Generally, what he does is he throws, you know, your car, a wrench in your car. And it breaks down. Or he gets your children sick. Or... He you know, tries to kick you out of your house or he tries to get you to, you know, get fired at your job. And what's he doing? Now, let me just those things I mentioned now. How many people has the devil been trying to douse your fire personally? Not everybody else, but just you. Or he tries to get you just to sin and get off track. How many people have experienced that in the last couple of weeks? Now, look around. Pretty much everybody. Right? How do you maintain in the middle of that? Well, you start knowing who's bigger than you. You start recognizing that God's bigger than this. God's bigger than my logic. God's bigger than my mess ups. Did you know that God's love is bigger than your greatest sin? Did you know that? Isn't that hopeful? He's bigger than that. But see, I, what we're talking about is, is that momentum and that fire of God and that winning attitude. At some point, in order for it to be, in other words, in order for that winning to still be there, what started with Vince Lombardi had to be so ingrained in the people... That it kept. And so even after he's gone, it still lives. That means that somebody along the line had to take the personal responsibility to take on his vision and his fire for winning. And make it their own. You know, one of the things about the Green Bay Packers is there's one thing that's different about that team 
is that there's not one owner. Who's it owned by? The fans own it. Matter of fact, at one point it was basically like the whole town around that, they were the owners of that. It's not owned by one person, it's owned by the people. Let me just tell you, when you start to take ownership of the vision and the ministry of the house of God where you're planted, the devil can't stop you. He can't stop us. When you start to take ownership of it, you start to be a part of it, you start to say, what can I do? Where's the coffee pot at? I'll take that sucker on. Right? Where's that coffee pot? Where's, where's that new person coming in the door? I want to I wanna be the first one to smile and welcome them to Boomerang Church. One thing that Vince Lombardi also did was he has a classic line. It was neat in the stadium because they had these quotes everywhere, which I wish I could go and take a picture of every one of them. Um, and I was trying to, but I got sidetracked. I was, they were showing us the stadium and stuff, and I forgot to take all the pictures. And, but one of the things he said, he said, here's our rule book or here's our playbook. And it was really small compared to others. He said, these are the basics. And one of the things he did at the beginning was he picked up a football. Now these are professional athletes. And my understanding is if I have it wrong, somebody can correct me. But my understanding is he stood up in front of professional athletes who get paid to play football for a living. And he said, boys. This is a football. Like they didn't know. He said, this is a football. Is this right? He said, and this is our plays. And it's only a few plays. But we're going to know these plays so well. We're going to know the basics so well. That the other team can know. What we're about, the play that we're getting ready to run. And they will not be able to stop us because we will execute the basics with excellence. Now, that might not be his exact wording, but that's what he said. In Christianity, it's no different. It has to be bought by the person. That person has to be bought in to making Jesus Lord. But here's the other thing. There's a few basics that you've got to get a hold of and make them yours. And if we will learn to run those basics well, we will run all over the devil. And the first one is this. God is love. God is love. God is love. He loves you with an everlasting love. And let me put it to you like this. His love goes beyond even your comprehension. You can try to imagine it and you can think maybe at some point that you can. I promise you, you haven't yet. Why? Because you still have a corrupted flesh getting in the way. Most people rate God's love based off of the most loving person that they know. And here's the thing that we know. That most loving person that they know on some level is still corrupted. God's not. God loves you. Well, see, all of a sudden when the devil comes up and he tries to throw the monkey wrench in your plans, what happens? When you understand that God is love, you start to understand that it doesn't matter what the devil throws in and throws at me. Let me see. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. 
we done. Found the anointing in the message. Starting verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should. Eric, did you know how everything to pray when you got to that hospital? Did you know, did you know all the details that you needed to pray over on all the parts of the body that needed fixing and how it works and everything? Or are you like most everybody else? We don't know everything. Yeah. Now you're going to face situations where you don't know everything. Praise God, we have a Holy Spirit that will help us. And this is exactly what he's talking about. He says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He's talking about praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit. And he says, you know, even when you get to the place where you don't know what to pray, he says, I'll help you. And that's how he does it. He prays in the Holy Ghost. He says, and he intercedes for us. In other words, we pray in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, Father, do this, 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 this. We pray in, in the Holy Ghost. And he says, uh, Jesus, here's what they're needing help with. They don't even know it, but this is what needs to be fixed. Oh, man, what a weapon. What a tool, right? Man, we need that. I can't tell you how many times I've not known what to do. This is one of the basics. The Lord says after you're born again, he tells us in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. The reason he tells us to be filled with the Spirit is because it's one of the greatest tools that you have in your tool bag to beat the devil. It's one of the basics. And that's why, that's why he really fights the church on it. He fights the church on that because it's one of the greatest things that can happen. Not only do you become empowered to be as witnesses, but it gives you the ability to spiritually fight. In other words, it may look like a rock. It may look stupid to some people. And yet it's one of the things that will win the spiritual victory. All right. He says, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Uh, who qualifies for that? Just answer me this. Who qualifies for this, that God causes all things to work together for good? Does everybody qualify for that? No. Do all believers qualify for that? No, that's right. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. If we love God, that means he says, if you love me, then you do what I say. So a lot of people are saying, well, God causes everything to work together for good. No, he doesn't. To those who love him and are called according to his purposes, you need to finish it because there's some qualifications there. Maybe you qualify, maybe you don't. These are some of the basics. Here's the basic. Here's some of the rule book. Here's the playbook. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Right there it says that God has a normal in Jesus. And he says he's predestined every believer to become formed into the image of his son. To look like God's normal. That Jesus would be the firstborn of many brethren. In other words, what he's saying, look, here's some of the basics right here. I want you to look like him. And just honestly, how many of the church looks like him today is walking in these things, walking in the power of God? Are we looking like Jesus? Is the world going, man, they look like Jesus out there doing that stuff. Laying hands on the sick, leading them to the Father. Man, that looks like Jesus. What Jesus did. Do we hear that testimony all the time in the church? No. But yet God right here says this is normal. So can you see? These are just the basics. A lot of times in the church, do you realize that the numbers pretty much for the church in America are no different from the numbers in the world? The same successes and failures, same percentages, everything. And yet we're the ones that God, that are supposed to thank God because he always leads us to triumph. We ought to be walking in so much triumph in Christ that our lives are working. The word puts it like this. You should be ready to give an, an account for the hope that is within you. Because when people look at your life, they take hope. They say, my goodness, look what happened. I got a, I got a child that's messed up. He's been following some mess. He's in a jam. How in the world is he ever going to get out? My heart's hurting for him. Wait a minute. I know somebody who prayed and it worked. And they find hope in our actions. I know a church where that's been happening all the time. And they find hope in our actions. They, they find God's normal in us. And we're supposed to be ready to tell them about it. Tell them how to move in it themselves. And help, help lead them. Take them by the hand. And look, come on. I'll show you how to do it. Come on with me. And lead them in that way. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Basic number one. We've been talking about several. But let me give you the basic basics. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He, this verse right here, verse 32. Oh my goodness. Get a hold of this. Get some revelation of this verse. Verse 32. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how, how will he not also with him freely give us a couple of things? A few things. Most things. All things. How? 
In other words, if he would give me Jesus and give me the life of his son, how in the world would he not hand me all things? So then all of a sudden you get in the place where something bad happens. Sickness, the boss, uh, the, the whatever, the finances, the bank calls. All of a sudden, when you just know that God is who he says he is and he loves me, all of a sudden that stuff doesn't matter. You just step right in, you're like... Oh, the finances are low in the bank account. That doesn't bother me. You know why? Because God loves me. He loves me so much to give me Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Oh, he loves you so much. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. And who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. In other words, all this stuff, no matter how the devil cuts it, Jesus is still the winner. Jesus is still the victor. He's still triumphant. I don't care what he tries to do in your life. You can stand up and I know the basics. I got the playbook right here. It says no matter what he did, Jesus is the one that loves me, poured out his life for me. And now I'm going to, I'm going to reap off of what Christ sowed. Devil, you can try all you want to, but you're not going to take away the love of Christ for me. Let that be yours. You're not going to take away the love of Christ for me. Then, then he asked this question. Looking, you know, he's asking, but there's no answer for this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Is trials going to come in and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, Jesus doesn't love you anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. Jesus was with you up until you went through that trial. But now, he, you know, no, no. I'm sorry, he was with you till then. But that one, it like pushed him over the head. That was just more than Jesus could handle. I mean, he just, you know, he could take the cross, he could take the weight of the world's sins, you know, but your tribulation that you're going through right now, you know, it, it just, it was, it, it, it was over the top. Jesus couldn't handle it. Are you kidding me? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will distress? Well, I, I just... I've been under so much pressure. That's not going to separate you from the love of Christ. He loves you. Persecution. Well, they were talking about me because I saw them snickering because I lowered my head and prayed. Good. Good. You just caused every one of them that were snickering to get real with themselves. And if your life is crucified, what does that matter anyway? They're going to laugh at you. They persecuted him. They're going to persecute you in that way. And is that persecution? Yeah, that's persecution. It's persecution. 
There's persecution. There's deep persecution. And Acts says they were in deep persecution. That's when they were going around and Saul was killing everybody. That was, there's different levels of persecution in America. We don't really have deep persecution. Middle East, they're facing some deep per- persecution. But in America, we're not facing We got it so easy. So easy. And, but we'll get upset if somebody's laughing at us over, over praying over a meal. And even if we don't get upset, it's a lot of times because we, we, we are like this. You know, take our napkin, be like, oh, Jesus, thank you for a meal. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. That is if we thank him at all because we recognize him for being good for it. He loves us. And nothing's going to separate him. Even persecution's not going to separate from his love. Even deep persecution. Even deep persecution. There's a story, uh, I think it's in... um, you might can tell me the, I think it's in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Where the guy was getting ready to, I think, get burned at the stake. If I'm wrong, you know, somebody can tell me about it later. But anyway, the guy, I believe, is about to get burned at the stake. And one of the guys wanted to know, he said, as you're being burned alive, I want to know if the love of God is there for you. If it's greater than that fire. And if so, if you would, just... Give me a thumbs up, you know, or hold up number of fingers. I think he told him whatever. And so there he is. He's being burned alive for being a Christian. And the guy reaches out in the middle of that fire and does that and gives him the thumbs up or the signal that God's grace, his mercy is greater. His love was there even through that. See, if we'll gain faith to understand that God will be with us no matter what we face, what does the devil have on us? How does, how does he back us down? How does he stop us from running over him if our lives are given to him and we understand that nothing will separate us from the love of God? Even Stephen, while he's being stoned for sharing the gospel, most of us are not going to face these kind of circumstances. But if you'll get this kind of conviction inside of you, if you'll get this basic on the inside of you, all of a sudden you'll gain a boldness against the devil that you've never had before. But even Stephen, while he's being stoned, I mean, rocks are flying at him. And here's Stephen. He's not even feeling the rocks. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. He's given God glory in the middle of, he had given his last breath. Man. See, when we start to understand that no matter what we face, nothing separates us from the love of God. The word says this, he says, you will not, you won't taste death. He tasted death so that you will not taste it. In other words, when we pass away, we have a right to believe God in faith that we won't even feel it. Have you ever heard stories about people that went to heaven and come back? You know what the majority of the story is? That they were doing something, all of a sudden they don't remember what else happened. Like they just saw a white light or whatever, and they never remembered the trauma, the tragedy. They don't ever remember the pain. They don't remember any of that. I hadn't asked, do you remember falling? 
I mean, you remember falling. Do you remember the rest of it? Do you remember any of the pain or anything at that time when you had that accident? That's what I mean. Why? Because God loves us. And even persecution, he loves us in the middle of it. Nothing will separate us from, our, from his love. That we can even apply faith that we won't even feel those things. We won't even see it. My, my understanding is that in Rome, one of the reasons why they wanted to stop uh, killing Christians, right, was because a lot of times what they would find is that the Christians in the middle of being burned alive or whatever, they'd be smiling. And that was much of a proof, so much of a proof that God was alive and real, that people were getting saved and they couldn't control it. So in order to control it, they stopped killing them. That was a part of the reason. I had a testimony recently of a soldier and uh, one, one soldier was passing away. Uh, two soldiers passed away. One of them was a Buddhist and one of them was a believer. One of them was a Christian. Just heard this story this week. Soldier passes away and uh, the Buddhist, uh, I'm going to tell you what he said. I'm not going to say it, but I'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. But the Buddhists, now what are they known for? They're known for inner peace, right? They're looking to get that. Here's the Buddhist. He gets, he gets killed in combat. And the last thing he does, last words out of his mouth, GD it. You know, where was the peace in that religion? It wasn't. But who can separate us from the love of Christ? As a believer, uh, same, the same story by the same guy telling me both situations. He says, the believer, he gets, he gets killed in combat right as he's passing away. Uh, he, go, he goes, man, I am at so much peace. God loves me. And he passes. I'm at, and I, I, I don't know that he said, God loves me. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to have that as an exact. I can find out it, what he said. But the, what he did do was say this. He was at so much peace. And when he passed, the peace of God filled the whole place. And because of the way those two passed, there were people that got born again right there in the next few days because of the difference in how they died. Because one is a life filled with God and one's just a religion. There's some basics for Christianity and the first basics is no matter what you find, God loves you. Who will separate you from the love of God? Who will separate you from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor the things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, or any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate us. Yeah. Not one thing. These are the basics. If you don't have an understanding of the basics, then the devil runs in his playbook. He runs a, a play of, of sickness. All of a sudden, you 
You don't know that God loves you like that. So sickness comes up and all of a sudden in your body you're going, Oh, why am I sick? Lord, why don't you heal this? This stings. But if you know that nothing can separate you, you go, wait a minute, time out. This is the play the devil's running. Hold up one second. By his stripes, we were healed. He sent his word and healed him. Oh, no, I don't even have to read this yet. I'm going to, but I don't even have to read it yet. I know this is already defeated because through these, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. And he loves me. Devil, you better listen. Listen, he loves me. Say that. You need to say that. Devil, he loves me. And so all of a sudden he throws sickness. And maybe the devil runs. Let me throw this playbook at you. A boss is irritated and he's taking it out on me. And so that play gets running. You're like, oh, wait, hold up. No, wait. He, devil, he loves me. Let me go. No evil will befall me in Jesus' name. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will walk with Him. Oh, and then He wants to try some other play. It doesn't matter what play the devil. He's limited. All power and authority was given to Jesus. He's got none. Devil's got nothing left. He's got none left. And all of a sudden, the love of God starts to come. You say, oh no, He loves me. He loves me. Let me just get in here and find this promise where he's already given me the playbook. Let me show you what he wants to do. And let's just watch as it appears. Then all of a sudden, by faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. And thanks be unto God, who always leads me in triumph in Christ. And manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him. The knowledge of what? The knowledge of how much He loves me. The knowledge of how much He loves us. The knowledge of how much He wants to not let anything separate us from His love. His love is there to, to manifest in me. And perfect love cast out fear. I don't have to fear the job. I don't have to fear the sickness. I don't have to fear the playbook of the devil because he loves me. It's the basics. Basic number one is he loves you and nothing can separate you. Basic number two is if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must come in as a little child. In other words, you have to just believe it. Basic number one, he loves you. He says this, he says every good, uh, James chapter 1 verse 17, he says every good and perfect gift is from the Father, is from above, from the Father of lights with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. If you watch this light right here, now we've got some pretty good lights, let me stand over here so I can show you. All right, so that light's looking at me directly in the face, right? So if I'm looking at that light and I turn one degree away. Now what happens on this side of my face? Shadow. I can't see y'all right now because I looked at that light, but (laughs) I know y'all are out there somewhere. (laughs) But over here, shadow forms, right? There's a shadow that forms on this side. This is what God says. He says, my love is so pure towards you, so pure 
that there's no variation, there's no variableness. You, my love will not turn away from you, not one degree. No variation or shadow of turning. In other words, my love is to you, is pure towards you. It'll never change. It'll never turn another direction. Now, whether you walk in it or not is up to you, but it's to you, it's towards you. And then our job is to take his promises, to take just how good he is without any corruption in his love. Let perfect love start to cast out and drive out all fear. For he's given, not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and of love and a sound and disciplined mind. That's, that's what his love will do. All of a sudden, we're walking around not as Christians that are all beat up, not floundering, not double-minded. We're walking around as Christians who know the love of the Father. We know it. And all of a sudden, the world's looking at us going, why are you not afraid? Why are you not scared? Why are you, why are you not in fear like everybody else? You ought to be scared like us. That's what the world's doing. But then when it comes their turn that the devil's running to play on them, they're going to go, who was standing there without any fear last time? Mm, oh yeah, that was the Christian. Let's go over here and see if he can help me. This is a playbook. God's given us his. Ours beats the devil's. God is good. He loves us. The devil hates us, won't steal, kill, and destroy from us. It's not real complicated. It's just walking in the basics. But we've got to learn how, even in the midst of the storm, to stand on the fact that God loves us. And we've got to accept that as a child. This last point is simply this. If we don't accept his love as a child, what we start to do is we start to think of it the way an adult thinks about things. We start to logic things. We start to believe the way, well, you know, how many, how many of you have ever had kids and they believe God for something and you're like, well, I don't know about that. But, uh, you know, like the other day we were playing on trampoline. Thank goodness we had the birthday party there was a bunch of kids on the trampoline didn't break that day but then I got on there and I'm playing with the kids and I'm bouncing brown brown you know and I go straight through it and standing on the ground I'm like glory to God I'm glad I'm not hurt amen but there's a big rip and tear y'all should have seen Luke's face Luke did not know what to think at that moment he's like it's like first of all did that just happen did my toy just disappear in front of my eyes like I'm looking at it? Did dad just kill my toy? You're like, I mean, he didn't know what to think. And then, it, then you could see the little wheels turning, right? And he was like, am I going to get a new toy sometime soon? How soon before I get to jump on here again? You know, it's like, what is going on? And it was like, you could see, like he was serious, but, but he learned enough to know, have faith. And within just a few seconds, he went, we said, buddy, it'll be all right. He said, that's okay. Y'all can just buy me a new one. <laughs> that's the faith of a child. He didn't fear whether or not he was going to get another one. That wasn't even an option. That's faith of a child. I'm not fearing that this is not going to work out. That's not even an option. Not even an option. My daddy loves me and he's got all the resources. My daddy loves me. He's going to work this out. He's going to work it out. Doesn't matter what I face. What can separate me from his love? Nothing. 
Jesus and disciples in the boat. I know y'all have never heard this story talked about before. The storm rises up. But see, why does the Holy Spirit have me keep going back to this story? It's huge. It's huge. Justin, what is it? How does it say? It's huge. It's huge. <laughs> it's huge. It's a big story. What are they doing? They're fretting. They're, they're in fear of their lives. The storm wants to try and kill them. Is Jesus fretting or does he know the love of a father? Does he know that the love of God will not separate? Does he know that the father told him to go over there? Is he in a childlike faith that believes like that? Yeah, he is. They think they're going to die. He eventually gets on to them and says, dude, what's up with y'all? Where's your faith? Why? Because he's trying to get them to see God for who he really is. God's a big God. The only way that the devil gets to run his plays against you is if you don't know the playbook yourself. The only way that he gets to operate in that is if you don't know that God loves you and nothing can separate you from his love. If you don't know that, then the devil will run over you. But if you know that, you'll run over the devil. It's like two, an offensive and a defensive line sitting there and they're rumbling, they're going over. But sometimes one of them's got the advantage. Jesus said it like this. He said, you got the advantage. All power and authority is given unto me. Go therefore. You've got the advantage. You've got the upper hand. You've got the rule book. You just have to choose to believe that nothing will separate you from his love. Nothing. As a child, you need to believe it. You can't believe everything that everybody says. You've heard me say this multiple times. Do not believe something just because I preach it. Amen. Don't do that. You have something, you got a question on it, I want you to bring it to me. Fine, but before you even bring it to me, go get in your Bible and read it for yourself. Look at the whole counsel of the Word and, and let it talk to you and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. You're not supposed to believe it just because I said it. The only reason you should believe it if I said it is if I quoted Scripture to you. If I gave that to you and it was the same thing in context. But even if I give it, I can give it out of context. So go read the context. You shouldn't believe every word that comes out of man's mouth, but with God, it's a different story. Faith as a child, the best, one of the best examples I know of is little baby birds in the nest. They're all sitting there, if you can imagine, all the baby birds are saying, nip, 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 you know, making all kinds of racket. And mama bird comes back to the nest and she's got a worm and she drops a worm and God forbid anything that gets in between that worm and those babies' mouths, right? It's like, you know, I mean, if they knew how to punch, I think they would, you know. It's like, but you can just see these babies. I mean, they're mouth wide open. But here's the thing. The Lord showed me this. He said, what if mama dropped a rock down there? What if mama didn't drop a worm but dropped a rock? Well, those babies, they'd be uh, having an interesting supper. Because whatever she drops, it's getting swallowed whole. Because there's faith as a child that my mama's not going to treat me wrong. How can those baby birds have faith like that and us not have faith like that in our father? In other words, everything that he would drop 
as a promise? I just got a picture of God dropping the mic. All right. Every, everything that he would drop, <laughs> everything that he would drop, we should be able to eat that up just like a baby bird. Every promise. He sent his word and healed them. Today I've set before you life and death. Choose life. I made you the head and not the tail. I made you the lender and not the bar. You will be above and not beneath. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full till it overflows. I've given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. I always lead you to triumph in Christ. I made you more than a conqueror. All these are promises. And we ought to see that. And he said, I love you with an everlasting love. We'll be able to separate you from my love. Basically what he says, will any situation or anything that you run into, will any of that separate you from my love? No. So no matter what playbook, what play the enemy runs at you out of his playbook, you can sit there in the faith as a child, know that God is me and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be. I'm going to be all right. God's going to move his love through me. And everything's going to be okay. When you get a believer to that place, all of a sudden the devil's like, what playbook am I going to, what play am I going to run now? I can't, everything I throw at him, he just blocks it. Everything I throw at him, it just gets intercepted. Everything I try to do to sack him, it, they just block it. They've got the, they've got the uh, guys on the line, they're not letting anything through. Why? Because you put into action a play that is unstoppable and you just stood in the basics of faith and stood there and let God do what his promises do. Father, right now today, I just ask that you would meet everybody where they're at. Show them your love, Father. I ask, I ask you, Lord, show them your love for them. Reveal it to them. Anything that would stand in the way of your love being revealed, Father, I ask right now that it would just be moved, that it would just be dissolved in their life. Show them your love. Holy Spirit, manifest yourself to them. Let them see you with new eyes. Let them see, Lord... That problem, the play the devil's tried to run on them, it amounts to nothing in your eyes. It's already handled 2,000 years ago on the cross. And Jesus declared it and decreed it when he said, it's finished. It's done. So, Lord, I call an end to all of the plays in their life that's coming against them now. Let them decide to do the basics, to hold on to the momentum and unity that you've called them to be in Christ. Lord, set the captive free now in Jesus' name. Lord, pray out the mysteries in people right now. 
Thank you, Father, for solving the mysteries. Thank you, Lord. So in the de Borupa, Yatinimi is to do come as a better blotini, Sebutu to Vlataco Mayate. Conia Fasso Peropa Sotoromo, Pampopoyama so, Yatini. Lord, right now you may be protecting somebody's child or bringing healing or bringing about a job or changing a situation. All just in this prayer. Lord, we agree together that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven according to your word. So be it. Pain studish to fanda, mantukivo so lotano, lotani epitudo froca deni, membo so vlatano mombo, bangibete debe, ujikanoniata. Thank you, Lord, for freedom coming now. Thank you, Father. Sutanimetio colotano mombo.